is Bloomberg Surveillance. Is there a little sign of concern in the banking system in the Eurozone? Yes, but it's still very, very contained. The U.S. pursued a very aggressive policy early on, and that is having payoff several years later. You have a fundamental problem of architecture, and that's why any small issue is amplified immediately in the marketplace. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, Michael McKee and Tom Key. Much to talk about after the Fed minutes. We'll do that in a moment. Bloomberg Surveillance, Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130 New York 960, Bloomberg the Bay Area. Good morning on the West Coast. Washington, 99.1 FM, and we say good morning across the nation in Canada. Sirius and XM Channel 119. Bloomberg Surveillance, now brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. Cone Resnick will provide your business with the industry insight it needs to succeed in a dynamic economy. Sign up for insight. Find out how at coneresnick.com, C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K. Uh, Mike, bring in David Sowerby, but first, for David and for me and our audience, report on the minutes yesterday. What did Mr. McKee glean? Uh, not a whole lot. The interesting thing was that they weren't fighting about what to do. They were trying to figure out what was going on. Not a lot of some said this and some said that. It was basically we got a problem out there with oil. We got a problem with China. We got a problem with uh, the dollar. We got a problem in particular with financial markets. What does everybody think the issues are? And the basic conclusion on all of them is we don't know. So they punted, of course, in January. And now it's beginning to look like uh, March is completely off the table. You had Jim Bullard last night coming out, uh, who was one of the people who thought they strongly should raise rates last year, saying, now nah, let's wait for a little while, um, because he's concerned about the direction of things going forward. David Sauer will be with us with Loomis Sales on small cap, large cap, on the equity markets, and we review again. David, how has your world changed in the last six weeks? If it's an indeterminate, sort of a churning, messy week, how has your world of, of lesser cap stocks changed? Uh, more, more opportunity is, is the simple answer. When you, when you look at the disparity between smaller cap to larger cap, particularly smaller cap value-leaning stocks, the, the opportunities to go hunting and to buy are much more robust than, than they were at, at the end of October when the market spurted higher after the uh, disappointing third quarter. It's a more robust environment to be buying. And at the same time, for your client interfacing, it's it's simply the the long-term belief of, let's look at this over the next two to three years and not try to guess about the next week. Well, in... uh you had uh, Jim Bullard talking about that last night, about how uh, we have seen um, any uh, issues about bubbles come down because the market has come down. Are people going to go back in and do what you're suggesting? Uh, or if the Fed is off the hook in March, is it you know party on again? Well, I'll say it was interesting to hear your comments before you introduced me. I read the comments last night from from President Bullard. I've grown up as a as very respectful of the St. Louis Fed that they believe in the efficacy of money. Uh, 
And and I thought it was very telling that even he said it's time to put any tightening on hold. And he's he's very ardent on on the Fed's number one mission, and that's price stability. Ultimately, low inflation is very good for stocks. It has proven to be over the last 50-plus years. So I think that was a, a quite telling statement. And then for the buying, I noticed last week that when you combined bearish and neutral investor sentiment, it was over 80%. And the bearish sentiment by itself was pushing on 50%. Historically, whenever it's reached that washed-out level, it's been more of a bottoming, not a bottom, but a bottoming process and a time to get in there and selectively look to be a, a buyer of stocks rather than, rather than holding cash on the sidelines. What is the state of the top line of small caps versus – Big multinationals. We always love to do a nominal GDP exercise with the giant companies. Can you do that with lesser capitalized companies? You, you absolutely can. And, and, the, uh, and the numbers are, are still better. That if you look at the, the small cap stocks, that they are growing their revenues between 4 and 5%, while large caps are more like 2 to 3%. And that's been an important factor for uh, for their sales growth. It hasn't been that way in the fourth quarter. Their sales are roughly flat. But if you look at at, at smoothing it a bit, the, the sales growth is still better than large caps. Now, regardless of the cap size, everybody's – not everybody, but an awful lot of analysts are saying we, we're in a profit recession now. It doesn't matter how big the company is. Well, nobody, you, nobody can make yeah. any money, and, th- and they won't be able to make it in this quarter or the next quarter either. And, Mike, you saw the headline from Walmart with the dreaded F word, flat. Yeah. I mean, flat is the, is the new growth. And, and, and I looked at Walmart this morning, whether it's the last 10 years, the last 15 years, they've at best matched – the growth rates of the S&P 500, they've trailed, whether you want to call them a consumer staple stock or a consumer discretionary stock, they've trailed both sectors, and, and that's been Walmart's challenges. It's gotten, mm-hmm. gotten bigger and badder. But when you look at the even the names I gave you this morning, they tend to lean towards the mid-cap to the smaller cap size. I think those are always more interesting to talk about with Bloomberg than, than a mega-cap stock. And that's, I think, a vote for the long-term merits of the strategy right. and the better buying well, opportunity today. David, give us an idea within a manufacturing growth recession or true recession. Is there an industrial small mid-cap that you have a particular affinity for? Folks, I want to make this clear. Mr. Sowerby works for Loomis Sales. It's really nice of him to talk to us about individual companies. A lot of people, what are called long-only buy side, won't do that. We appreciate they'll do that. Well, thank you. Uh, Maybe not quite in the industrial sector, but leaning more towards the the consumer side. A couple names to talk about this morning that are more in the mid-cap space. Uh, QVC, which is pound for pound one of the most profitable retailers, it can compete with Amazon where there are challenges with Walmart competing with Amazon because they have more loyal customers 90% 90% are repeatable. Their products are more uh, differentiated versus what you can buy on Amazon. Uh, cash flow estimates and margins continue to go higher. I'm a big believer in the merits of free cash flow 
and free cash flow yield, which is a company's free cash flow divided by its market capitalization as a valuation metric. That's over 10%. That's more than two times the overall stock in the S&P 500. So QVC, I think, is a is a retailer e-commerce with a with a tech tilt to it. I think that that represents merit in this in this type of market. Uh, right. Uh, David, we had Neil Kashkarian yesterday, the newly minted president of the uh, Minneapolis Fed. His bank will do a study of too big to fail banks. Um, you spend a lot of time looking at um, smaller banks. Is there? A, I mean, have they been washed out in the financial carnage? They have along with the big banks, and, and I'm not sure that you can really differentiate them. Interesting. Um, I think I, I look at the banks, and sometimes it's hard to differentiate between a great large cap versus a great small cap bank on, on the financial side. I'd rather own a name like Discover, which does consumer lending, credit cards, uh, ATM machines. The stock is sold off considerably after its highs of a couple of years ago, and yet the company is generating a yield of about 2.5%, sells at a PE of eight times earnings, uh, our return on equity better than 20%. I always find that in the financial sector, I want to look for something a little more unique rather than just trying to differentiate it among the many, many banks right. that I have to choose from. David, thank you so much. David Sarby with Luma Sales. Thank you, Tom. And, and company, greatly appreciate it. Futures up seven, Dow Futures up 70, a churn to the market. Oil, though, stronger. Uh, Brent crude, let's go to the European quote, 35 34. Caroline Hyde over in London today was making a big think about 36 as being an important level in that area. We're not there, but we're getting there. A couple days up in a row of oil gives some enthusiasm uh, to uh, the market. The German two-year yield like a rock, negative 0.512. It's been worse, but still very, very negative. We mentioned the Swiss 15-year negative and the 20-year slightly positive as well over in the land of the negative uh, yields, the yen, 113.86, stronger yen, but again, not breaking through to drama uh, that you would uh, expect. The euro, the, well, I, I stand corrected. The euro is moved, 110.83. Mike, I just noticed that, a weaker euro, 110.83 um, on the euro down significantly. That's two or three days in a row, uh, like pound sterling. Uh, weaker as as well. The dollar index not reflecting that as much, um, only at yeah. 97. So uh, where's the money going? You wonder if that's Brexit worries as Prime Minister Cameron goes to uh, Brussels. To, you know, he, he probably stays in a Lowe's Regency hotel in Brussels. We might guess John Tish will join us in a minute from Lowe's. Futures up six, down futures up 68. Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. President Obama will travel to Cuba next month. The U.S. formally reopened its embassy in Havana last year. After ties were severed more than a half century ago, the stop would be part of a broader trip to Latin America. Vice President Joe Biden says President Barack Obama is looking to nominate someone who had passed support from Republicans to replace late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Biden spoke today on Minnesota Public Radio. Biden says President Obama is not going to be able to pick the most liberal jurist in the nation and put them on the court. The star of the VH1 reality TV series Mob Wives, known as Big Ange, has died following 
nearly a year-long battle with cancer. 55-year-old Angela Riola died early this morning at a New York City hospital while surrounded by family and friends. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Uh, Michael, thanks so much. We welcome you. Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130 in New York. 99.1 Washington FM. Good morning. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, we'll find out how really diverse business is weathering the American economy these days. Jonathan Tish from Lowe's Corporation with us next. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Futures are higher this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures are trading higher but have paired some of their gains since the last time we spoke. Dow futures now higher by 53 points, S&P futures gain 4, and NASDAQ futures rise by 16. The U.S. 10 yield hits 1.82%, and main European markets are trading mostly higher, led by 1.6% gains in Germany. On the U.S. economic front at 8.30, Philly Fed and initial jobs claims. At 10.30, natural gas storage change. And at 11 o'clock, energy inventory numbers. After the bell last night, NVIDIA beat. NetApp was mixed, and Jack in the Box missed lowest estimates. Shares are down 19% pre-market. Regarding earnings this morning, Perigo missed, Cabela's beat, LabCorp was mixed, and Walmart cut year sales forecast. Q4 comp sales also missed. Shares are down 4% pre-market. In deal news, Ingram Micro to be bought for $38.90 a share. And in other news, Devon Energy priced 69 million shares at $18.75. Finally, some of your key Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Amazon raised to buy versus hold at Cancord, price target $750. Red Hat raised to buy at Citigroup. Garmin cut to underweight at J.P. Morgan. And finally, IBM raised overweight at Morgan Stanley with a price target of $140. Live from the first of Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg type Squawk A Go on your terminal, that's S Q U A W K Go. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Investing isn't about meeting benchmarks, it's about achieving goals. Find out how Invesco's high-conviction approach can help. Visit Invesco.com slash high-conviction. Michael, we've got an important guest. A special guest, an old friend of yours from your Power Breakfast days. Yeah, Jonathan still Dixon, held with grace on Park Avenue. Lowe's. Yes, um, we were just talking about if there's a way to get you back in there. Other than for the beverage Don't of your choice at five o'clock, um, <laughs> Jonathan Tish is chair, uh, co-chairman of uh, Lowe's Corporation. Uh, Tom can do the the hotel room part and the balance sheet part. I want to ask you the macro question of, from your point of view, uh, as a big company. I mean, you have uh, we're talking hotels, but I mean, you're in the oil and gas business, as they say out in Oklahoma, uh, and all kinds of other things. How do you perceive the economy and the the people who are under their desks worried about uh, the sky falling? Clearly, we see the issues that are stressing people out, and we're aware through the various businesses that you just mentioned, energy, insurance, hotels, 
But we are not pessimistic, and we don't feel that we're necessarily on the cusp of a recession, that business is okay and, and pretty good in some places. So we, we are moving ahead. We are allocating capital as to where we think it can get the best return. We at Lowe's Hotels have been very aggressive over the last couple of years in terms of acquisition. We've bought six hotels in markets that we felt were necessary to expand our national footprint. We're basically a U.S. player. Of our 24 hotels, 23 are domestic. We have one in Montreal, although we do have a hotel under construction. Suburb of the United States. And we have a hotel under construction in Toronto that will That's open in October. That's called Hotel Jean Beliveau. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're committing capital to acquisition, to renovations. We're about to announce a big renovation of our Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. And in part, it goes to what we were talking about earlier, mm. and that's supply and demand. So the last couple of years have been very strong for the industry because demand has been pretty robust and supply has been kept in tap. Supply is starting to increase, and there are certain markets, and some of the markets that we're in, New York City, Miami Beach, Nashville, where there is a lot of new supply coming. And so that concerns us a bit. So in Miami Beach, where we have the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel, been open about 18 years, very successful. We're doing a multi-million dollar renovation starting next summer. And so we're committing capital to the hotel business because obviously we feel that we're going to get the proper return. We know price discrimination two nights at your lovely Park Avenue address is going to cost me in the vicinity of $1,053.42. The lovely Holiday Inn over on 48th Street, which uh, many people know near the theater district, two nights is half that, $512. What's two nights at Airbnb? I'm not an expert on Airbnb, but just based on anecdotal, hundred bucks a night, probably a hundred bucks a night, one hundred and twenty-five. So, so if, you, if you're going to go up to an Airbnb in a, a nicer part of town, fair, one hundred and fifty bucks. But their their argument, is, the hotel industry's argument, is that it's a very unlevel playing field. That the owners of these units have no interest in or no reason to be concerned about fire life safety systems. They are not paying any type of tax. They are not paying into unemployment insurance for our coworkers. That makes it unfair. And I'm not sure that they're taking from us, per se, at the Lowe's Regency Hotel on 61st Street and Park Avenue. But for the industry, it's, it's a massive benefits-free ride. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you're and starting with an emphasis on the word massive. I mean, what are the taxes? 13%? Well, we're paying a huge amount of taxes. Yeah. And, and once again, in the area of we look at the money that we spend on fire life safety because obviously the safety of our guests and our coworkers paramount in how we look at our buildings. And they don't do any of that. So it, Airbnb is a big issue. They're not going away. They are very much a part of the hotel industry. And we just have to find ways to create demand for our properties so that we can keep them full, that we can raise our rates. If you look at RevPAR growth at up our upscale, it's probably going to be 4 or 5% this year again. So we continue to be optimistic about the industry, but very aware of Airbnb. And then you've got the OTAs, the Expedias, and the Pricelines of the world, and that's a whole other conversation. Well, we'll have that conversation here next. Jonathan Tish joining us, gracing us with his presence uh, this morning. Of course, the Tish families have a number of businesses Mike, don't they have a job opening now? I mean, where is that? <laughs> Steve's not here, but have, they, have you announced a coach? Oh, yeah. The for the Giants? We have a coach. Wow. We announced Thomas. it about three weeks ago. Oh, obviously. Three weeks He's ago. A big, big, oh, I was well, abroad. That, it's, big, well, it's not fan. football season now, so it, Arthur Levitt has been able to keep his job over here before he starts coaching 
the Giants. Ben McAdoo yes. is our new head coach. He was our yeah. offensive coordinator. Yeah. The now, last Arthur does seasons. take credit for predicting that, for telling you guys that, that Ben McAdoo that, is going to be our ben new McAdoo coach. Yeah. should be the new coach. So. I think it's very cool you kept it inside. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about it. but that's, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, but much more to speak to uh, Jonathan Tish about futures up five, top futures up 54. Ten-year yield, I, again, it's a churn and jumble to the market looking uh, for news. As I mentioned, oil elevated, but within the trend, within the jumble as well. The euro, 113.78, a little bit of yen strength. Excuse me, the yen, 113.78. Euro weakness through 111, 110.92. Michael McKee and Tom Keene with Jonathan Tish on economics, finance, investment, Bloomberg surveillance. Coming up, the, with all due respect, highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit Land Rover, tristate.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene, Economic Indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Well, we've got initial jobless claims just out, and they come in much lower than forecast, 262,000. And that's down from 269,000 last week. The forecast was for 275,000. So the labor market still seems to be, Tom, in very good shape. Uh, this is the hour in which we are supposed to get the Philadelphia Fed business numbers. They have not crossed yet, but we'll certainly bring them to you as, as soon as they come across. But, uh, well, here we go. The uh, Philadelphia Fed factory index, negative 2.8 versus negative uh, 3.5 the prior month. is still showing a little contraction, but improving some. Um, uh, the caveat, as always, yeah. is the Philly Fed numbers don't correlate to the national numbers. The 13-week moving average rolling over again in a constructive direction. And we have a gentleman with us who's who's brilliant at understanding the pulse of getting bodies. We forget yeah, that one I of mean, the goals is we need the, tw- the 12th you floor. you got to hire people, the way of putting it. No, no, but I'm serious. You're getting bodies. You, e- you either run a business okay. that employs a lot of people or you're a mafia right. chief. Okay. No, but there's a basic the idea. I'm yes, sorry. They're out sick today. We need the 12th floor cleaned. Do something. I mean, that's John Tish's reality. Right. Uh, well, I would imagine in an environment where you're, you're coming from a 10% unemployment rate down, it hasn't been hard to find people who want work. But, Mike, there is a big difference. We want people, as we say, that have a gene for hospitality. So, yes, there are times where we've got vacancies, whether it be in housekeeping, engineering, in the front desk. But we want people who understand what our goal at Lowe's Hotels is in terms of making our guests feel comfortable, making them feel wanted, and offering and exceeding expectations. And so we go through whatever job you're applying for at Lowe's Hotels, whether it be back of the house, whether it be in a kitchen or in a senior management position, we do have some testing that we do to make sure that you fit into our view in terms of how we like to offer hospitality. Well, describe the labor market these days. I mean, we hear uh, it's very hard to find 
highly qualified, technically qualified people, it's much easier to find people on on the lower end. Well, the service sector of our economy certainly has taken over a lot of the job hiring, and that's why you're seeing in terms of lodging, in terms of the restaurant industry, a lot of jobs. And and I, I do take some uh, of the disparaging remarks, remarks about the kinds of jobs. These are not hamburger flipper jobs. These are good jobs in the lodging industry. We have 10,000 men and women who make a living at Lowe's Hotels. And so it, depending on the market, depending on the time of year, we're having some trouble filling roles. But once again, we, we want to make sure that the person fits into our sense of who we are as a company. And that makes it a little bit more difficult when you're, we just don't take anybody that walks in. I, I look, John, at, at where we're going, where it used to be four or five hundred bucks a night, and now the fancy pants hotel is six, eight hundred dollars in Europe. You choke on a thousand bucks a night. I was just going to say, it's still much cheaper than Europe or, yeah. or cheaper than <clears throat> Hong Kong. Where is that trend going? I mean, the business class is jammed on the airlines. Are your business fancy hotels jammed? Our hotels continue to do well, and the business traveler is still on the road. Obviously, there's always concern about it, the leisure traveler and the impact of worldwide events, geopolitical events. Is is there really, I was talking about earlier on TV, is there really a positive bump from the dividend that people are getting because they fill their car with a lot less cash than they did before because gas is $1.70 mm-hmm. in New Jersey? And hopefully some of that is translating into increased demand for the hotel business. But when you go to Europe and you see some of these rates or you go to other countries, uh, you realize that the United States is less expensive than many other destinations. Now, the international traveler is very important to us here in the United States, and the argument had been made that maybe the stronger dollar would yeah. curtail some international travel. We're not necessarily seeing that. Right. Uh, we're a little bit worried about Brazil, especially for New York City. Brazil is a very important market. Their economy is in turmoil. Uh, some other South American countries. And so we, we look at the, the, the trends, but so far the right. international traveler is still coming to the United States. My, my, the time we've got left, my, Mike, help me here. My best Lowe's Regency story, uh, story is walking down Park Avenue and bumping, as she came out of a car into your hotel, Julie Andrews. And how do you handle someone that iconic? I mean, did you in your ute ever meet Audrey Hepburn? I did. did she, uh, Elizabeth did, Taylor used yeah. to stay at the Lowe's Regency what do you Hotel. Do with I, I met Hepburn, Elizabeth Taylor when I was 10 years old. What do you do with a Hepburn, a Taylor, or the delightful Hopefully Julie we Andrews? treat all of our guests. Oh, please stop <laughs> it. What do you do with them? You, you treat them with respect. You, we, we, not, we don't want to be obsequious. We have understated service. And I think that's why people like staying with us. The Regency went through a $100 million renovation. We were closed for a year. That's when we kicked you out. You haven't been invited back yet. Uh, I'll think about it, whether you get another invitation. And we try to pay people with respect. (laughs) And whoever you are, whatever your last name is, but certainly we like having people that are recognizable. It creates a buzz in the lobby. But it's discreet. It's discreet. But you have to be discreet to be in the hotel business. Yeah. If Tom puts away his autograph book, can he come back? He can. I'll, I will find a seat for him, and I will give him some coffee in the lobby. I, I, because he, he, can, he was coming to Power Breakfast a lot. I embarrassed him, I, and I'm in the lobby, and it's like, OMG, 
Martin Feldstein, and I had to get <laughs> autograph him, the good economist from Harvard. Jonathan Tish, as always, thank Thanks, you guys. so much. I will study up on the new New York Giants football, <laughs> coach, I promise. You're, you're out of it, Tom. <laughs> right now, we're looking at uh, markets higher. There's the John Tish's optimism is being reflected yeah. in futures at the moment. Can we go four days in a row? I guess we'll it, It's a grinding. Out. It's exactly right. It's a grinding lift. The yen, 113.85. Uh, and again, West Texas, 31.46 the barrel. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. Here's Michael Barr with the latest news headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Retired Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor says President Obama should nominate his choice to replace Justice Antonin Scalia. Republicans have threatened to block the president's nomination. Speaking to KSAZ in Phoenix, O'Connor, who was nominated by Ronald Reagan, says President Obama should make his choice. I think we need somebody there. Now, to do the job, and let's get on with it. Meanwhile, Vice President Joe Biden says President Obama is looking to nominate someone who had passed support from Republicans. Biden on Minnesota Public Radio says the president is not going to be able to pick the most liberal jurist in the nation and put them on the court. Donald Trump has a strong lead in a new Bloomberg politics poll heading into Saturday's South Carolina Republican primary. Trump has a 19-point lead over second-place Ted Cruz. Turkey's leaders say two Kurdish groups were behind a bombing in Ankara yesterday that killed 28 people. One of the groups is backed by the U.S. as a major ally in the fight against the Islamic State in Syria. However, the head of one of the parties blamed the Syrian-based Democratic Union Party says they had nothing to do with the bombing and blamed Islamic State militants. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Mike Lubar. Mike, Tom? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashauer. John. All right, Mike, Rangers were playing well, winning five of the last six, 7-0-2 in their last night at home with the Blackhawks of the Stanley Cup champs. And after blowing a 2-0 lead, trailing 3-2, Chicago scored twice on the power play third period, and then into an empty net. They beat Elaine Vigneault's team 5-3. Our PK, we made three bad reads, and puck ended up in the in the back of our net. Definitely need to be better than that, especially on a night like tonight where a power play comes up big for us. We're down by a goal after two, even though we played two pretty good periods. Uh, power play comes up big, and you know, we've got to find a way to get it done, and uh, we weren't able to do it. Star for Chicago was rookie Artemi Panarin, his first career hat-trick Rangers in Toronto tonight. It's been a rough first season for Chris Mullen. St. John's had lost 16 consecutive games. Finally, a Big East victory, 80-65 to over DePaul. Stony Brook had won 18 in a row. Seawolves lost at Albany, 82-70. to Duke, who won the NCAAs last year but had fallen out of the top 25 for the first time since 2007, now back in, and their best win of the year by far, 74-73 over arch-rival North Carolina. Yankees welcome in pitchers and catchers today in Tampa. That includes the new closer, or oldest Chapman, C.C. Sabathia, back from alcohol rehab. Mets spring training got underway yesterday in Port St. Lucie. The Nets have offered their general manager's job to Sean Marks. Word is he may turn the job down. NBA trade deadline at 3 today. Carmelo Anthony does not expect to be moved. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashauer. John, thanks so much. Appreciate it this morning. Michael, you're, you're, you're all excited over there. What do you got? Oh, I'm just uh, uh, looking at uh, the, the Philly Fed numbers. We'll talk about those with Chris Ruffin yeah. coming up. But I was thinking when John was uh, was uh, talking, 
uh, about the, the Mets and Yankees in spring training. And uh, the Boston Red Sox, the San Francisco Giants, the Oakland A's, uh, all of our teams, the Washington Nationals heading Catchers. to Florida and Arizona, we should be doing the same. It's summer is coming. Mm. Not bad. You think Al from New Jersey is listening? <laughs> summer is <laughs> coming. No Stay already. with the yeah, summer sure. surveillance. <laughs> The Sports Report brought to you by Ray Katina Auto Group. Make your move into a brand new Audi, not just any Audi, but one from Ray Katina with two locations, Audi Toms River on Route 37 East and Audi Freehold on Route 9. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by CBOE RMC. Come to the CBOE Risk Management Conference February 29th to March 2nd at the Hyatt Regency Coconut Point, Florida. Register and learn more at CBOERMCUS.com. The number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits unexpectedly declining last week to a three-month low. Initial jobless claims dropped by 7,000 to 262,000 in the week that ended February 13th, the lowest since November 21st. The relief rally that swept through U.S. equities is entering a fourth day with the U.S. stock index futures higher after the recent recovery lifted the year's most battered companies. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up four points. Dow E-mini futures up 50. And Nasdaq E-mini futures up 16. DAX in Germany is up 1.4 percent. Ten-year Treasury up 132nd. The yield 1.81 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.74 percent. Nymex crude oil up 2.3% or 71 cents to 31.37 a barrel. Comex gold down 4 tenths percent or $4.40 to 12.07 an ounce. The euro $1.1092, the yen 113.78. And Walmart stores down 4% after it lowered its annual sales forecast after the strong dollar pulled down the value of overseas revenue. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Again, futures up 5, a churn to the market. It's 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Jonathan Bernstein, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Governor Nikki Haley is endorsing Marco Rubio, joining Tim Scott and Trey Gowdy as a big three of South Carolina conservative Republicans in his corner. Party actors seem to be finally deciding on Rubio. Will it do him any good? Perhaps. A small bump over current polls would allow Rubio to finish second in South Carolina. Unless the polls are wrong, he would need a much larger surge to catch Donald Trump. Strong late shifts in presidential primaries aren't all that unusual, but there's no sign of it happening so far. But Rubio does not need to win South Carolina to be nominated. He just has to bring Trump's share of the vote down or to knock out his competitors to set up a one-on-one showdown. A three-man race in which Trump gets about a third of the vote everywhere would be tough but possible for Rubio to win. If Trump gets two-fifths, it would be even harder. So if getting Nikki Haley helps him even a little... It could be a big deal indeed. I'm Jonathan Bernstein. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, Michael McKee did the minutes yesterday. I want him to jump in with Chris Rupke, Bank of Tokyo, Mitsubishi. But, Chris, I want to give you a victory lap for the resiliency you have called for within the American economy. It's there. We all agree with that. But is it at a new terminal value that we didn't see four, five, six years ago. Are we heading towards a point that's a lower, more dampened point than what we would have guessed, say, five years ago? 
Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I when I go out and talk to people, I can point out that various economic statistics are strong. Unemployment rates at generational lows, jobless claims are very close to the lowest level since the 1970s, car sales are 18 million, but then I always get back in my face. Somebody in the audience saying, uh, you know, why doesn't it feel good out there? And I don't really have a lot to, <laughs> to say to that. I mean, economics doesn't have much to say to that. But, you know, we're more of a risk management oriented you know, country, uh, markets, uh, financial institutions, even general businesses, we, we seem to be more worried about the future than, than we used to be. I mean, the risk management profession didn't really get going until 20 years ago anyway. Anyway, I was very disturbed to see in the minutes that, um, you know, they're almost changing gears here, saying uh, yeah. increasing the downside risks to the outlook. I mean, my gosh, did you see what the ECB said today? Uh, that in the minutes they said uh, they got to be careful not to convey unduly gloomy message. Well, well, I think when you point to downside risks, you're kind of risking uh, frightening people, frankly. But Mike, well, you saw several nuggets yesterday and came up with a few observations, Michael McKee. Well, uh, to be fair, Chris, when the Fed was actually meeting, fair. was the worst uh, of the, you know, whatever was going on in financial markets, et cetera. So um, it's it's fair to say if that continued, there would be downside risks, which is is kind of what they said. Uh, I guess the issue now is are those risks passed? Yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing to me, though, I mean, it felt pretty bad, I have to admit. Uh, uh, and the negative rates angle, uh, you know, tortured people and made people concerned about the downside. But, I mean, when you look at the stock market, I mean, year to date, it was only down 10%. I mean, 10% 10%. But it felt the commentary and our own fears, myself included, it, we were acting like the, the Dow Industrials were down 20% year to date. That that used to be a financial crisis. Now we're getting worried if, you know, stocks tumble 7 or 8% year to date. I think we're just more easily alarmed than we used to be for some reason. I like that phrase, Michael McKee. They're a great band, evilly alarmed. <laughs> well, them. it does seem that uh, whatever happened is is wearing off. But yeah. then the question becomes, do we get back to fast enough growth that there is an inflation threat that would then push the Fed to react. Jim Bullard suggesting last night that inflation expectations have dropped so far that the answer would be no, even if we do see uh, continued strong job growth. Yeah, he's become a disappointment. I always relied on him to be a hawk and uh, talk up the need to normalized rates, and now he's looking uh, in the rearview mirror at inflation. I mean, inflation is the probably the slowest-moving economic variable we have out there. You know, it, it responds with a, a, an incredible lag. And the, the thing he seems to be pointing to, interestingly, is basically these inflation expectations from the market, they're only down because the bond market rallied as Janet Yellen said, uh, thinking there's a recession. Well, you know, if the stock market has called nine of the last five recessions, the bond market has called 25 of the last five recessions. The bond market 
really gets going. Its juices get flowing. Uh, people buy bonds when they think the economy is weak and we're in a recession. So I, I don't think inflation's too low. And if it, it the, the public doesn't care that core PCE inflation is 1.4%. They're oblivious to it. It, it. It's kind of off the radar for them right now. It's not a sign that the economy is not prosperous, mm -hmm. the fact that inflation is only 1%. I don't get it. Curve, uh, uh, curve what you do best, Chris. No, Chris, what you do best is link fixed income dynamics into the American economy. What does a yield curve signal to you right now? Well, the yield curve is a bit of a mess. <laughs> uh, fair. Fully fair. Yeah, I, I think all these markets, the fixed income market's incredibly distorted. Uh, you know, there's a lot of corporate bonds being issued. People are swapping to, they, they want to pay the lower uh, floating rate here. I think because the Fed's kept rates down here at zero for so long, uh, it's distorting how people finance themselves. And so... I, I don't really trust the, the yield curve to indicate much. Anyway, it, it, the old uh, recession signal that the New York Fed did a lot of research on, you know, 10, 15 years ago right. even, uh, it has to actually invert, you know, I think it's one-year bills to uh, yields to 10-year uh, okay, treasury. I'll go with that. So it hasn't inverted yet, so no recession. In the time we've got left with you, do you have a handle where negative rates actually impinge on any given nation? I mean, are we miles away no. from it? Uh, I mean, for every country, is a little bit different. You know, Japan, I'm yeah. shocked that they did that. But, you know, Kuroda likes to to shock and awe the markets. I don't know if he got, you know, and unfortunately, central banks generally are running out of ways to wow the markets and make the public consumers' businesses to inject them with renewed confidence. But for the U.S., it's absurd for us to lower rates to negative territory because, I mean, negative rates is supposed to increase bank lending. But our bank lending's running at double-digit rates. Banks are yeah. lending like there's no tomorrow. There's no need to do negative rates to okay. encourage bank lending Chris Rupke, here. You know, thank you so much. Chris Rupke, Bank of Tokyo, Mitsubishi, uh, always with an optimism on the American economy. Mike, what's the update on your reading on negative rates? Chris alludes there the debate that maybe negative rates will come here. I don't see that. In no, the we're literature. wasting our time talking about it. It's yeah, I don't see it in the literature. I want to make that clear, folks. I was saying this last night over a beverage of my choice. We're, we try every day not to be hyperbolic and hysterical. I mean, I don't in anywhere in the literature, Mike, see negative rates coming to the U.S. Uh, no, uh, the Fed doesn't want negative rates. There are a lot of reasons why it, it would work here. Uh, you just, but you can just point to the starting with service sector inflation is one. You reason. can just point to the fact that um, there are five countries that have imposed negative rates, and there are like thirteen that have uh, negative rates in practice, and uh, not one of them has seen a pickup in growth yeah. or inflation. So it's it, it is an ex it would be an experiment, and uh, yeah, why experiment? That was great talking with John Tish earlier. Uh, I hope you like that, folks. Look for that out on Bloomberg, uh, a digital. Uh, a conversation on the hotel business, whether it's – I was struck by the, the the quick study I did for rooms at the end of March of a 1000 bucks for two nights yeah. versus $500 for two nights versus what Airbnb would do for my kids. It never occurs to me to book Airbnb. It's, I always look to at me, it's hotels. massively yeah. generational. Yeah. Um, I don't know where we we're are. We're the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, we, we know are, that. We're on the, the hotel. We're on the John Tish side of things. 
Uh, right now we're on a, a green screen side. Futures up six. Dow futures up sixty-one. Another hour, a February hour of Bloomberg surveillance. <laughs> 